Hello. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at another famous story from the book of Daniel. Um, I think I've kind of lucked out actually in the sermons that I've got to preach. got the the fiery furnace and the lion's den, which is great. Um, This is perhaps one of the most famous stories from the Bible. Uh, Certainly the staple of any good Sunday school curriculum. So Daniel in the lion's den, let's read Daniel chapter 6 together. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any gods or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed, according to the the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he laboured till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to him, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, 
Has your God, to whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's just pray. Father, we bring your word to you this morning, and we just pray that as we as we read it, as we learn from it, as we explore it, that, you, uh, that you'll speak to us through it, that you'll encourage us and that you'll challenge us. Um, let's hear what you want us to learn from your passage this morning. Amen. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the events that lead up to the chapter that we've just read. In chapter 1, we read of a group of young Jews, including Daniel, who are taken hostage to the land of Babylon. They're forced to adapt to a new culture and a new way of life. And they refuse to eat the food and drink and wine of the land. They continue in their steadfast faith in God. Chapters 2 and 4 sees Daniel being brought before the king as the only one in the entire kingdom who can not only tell the king the details of a dream that he's had, but also able to interpret it. Daniel explains to him that God will bring Nebuchadnezzar's and Belshazzar's kingdoms to an end and will establish his own. In chapter 3, we read of the faith and courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they face the fires of the furnace because they refused to bow down to the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And last week, in chapter 5, we learned of the story of the writing on the wall, King Belshazzar, who was humbled by God when Daniel explained the interpretation of the writing. So over the course of the last five chapters, we've learned that Daniel, along with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have been put through trials repeatedly because of their faith. Through all these trials they learn an important lesson about God, that he is faithful. And so today in chapter 6 we're looking at the character of Daniel who is now in his old age. I did have to check this with David Murray but the term octogenarian is not offensive. So (laughs) Daniel at this point in his life is an octogenarian. So he's in his 80s, 80s onwards. As a young man, he was inspirational in his desire to live for and serve God. And that's a quality that he never lost. So, in chapter 6, we see Daniel in his 80s. He'd served Babylon through multiple kings. The Medo-Persians had overthrown the Babylonian Empire, just as God had promised King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. And the ruler who replaced Belshazzar was Darius. And he begins his rule by delegating the kingdom 
to 120 satraps who were then governed by three high officials or presidents, one of whom was Daniel. So clearly to get to that stage in the empire, Daniel had something special. To have survived three other kings and still been in high authority, Daniel had something that others didn't. Even as an 80-something, Daniel had the ability and skills to serve one of the most powerful kingdoms in history. He had a role of real responsibility, and he excelled in it. So much so that we're told in this chapter that the king planned to set Daniel over the entire kingdom. He had excelled himself, and according to verse 3, this was because he had an excellent spirit within him. However, it seems that despite the fact he'd lived in Babylon for about 60 years, he'd served previous kings, proven time and again his great character, he had enemies. The other presidents, high officials and satraps tried to find a way to trip Daniel up. Verses 4 and 5 say this. The high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So these people wanted to find a way to bring Daniel down. They wanted to steal a reputation formed over 60 years in Tatars. This Jew who had come into their land had upstaged them, lived in, a way, lived in a way that upstaged the native Babylonians. He lived and served Babylon. They wanted rid of him, or at least to bring him down a peg or two. The same thing happened to Daniel's friends in chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were unsuspecting victims in a trap set by people who were jealous of their position and reputations. Ultimately, they were thrown into the fires of a furnace only to be delivered by God. However, the problem that Daniel's accusers face was that he had his reputation for a reason. He was unwavering in his loyalty to God and his character reflected that. Repeatedly when tested, his faith stood strong. And so it's for this reason that the ones who sought to bring him down could not do so. They found no fault with him. So they set a trap for him. They knew that the only way to get at Daniel was to attack his faith, and that the only way to cause him to stumble was to force him to choose between his obedience to the king and his, obedi- and his obedience to God. And it's true that God's people has, have always faced opposition for living out their faith. Throughout history, we have accounts of Christians being persecuted. The book of Acts shares the story of Stephen. He was stoned to death for telling the gospel to a world that needed to hear it. Jesus' disciples were arrested, beaten, and in some cases executed for their faith. Emperor Nero in 67 AD tried to frame those who served God for the great fire of Rome, turning the population against Christians, which continued on until the 4th century. And even today, we just need to look at the news to see Christians facing persecution in North Korea, China, and many other parts of the world, simply because they live for God. And constantly, God's people have to choose between their faith and the world and have to face the trials that the world throws at them. There is hope and reassurance in the words of Jesus Christ himself. He says to us in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Although God's people will face trials and persecutions, something that God never promises to take us out of, there is peace and hope in the knowledge that our Saviour has overcome the world. And so the presidents and the satraps approach the king. Verse 6. The high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an injunction, an ordinance, and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction. Sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. These people knew what they were doing. They sweetened King Darius by inflating his ego. They promised him adoration, worship from his subjects, prospect of having all the worship in the kingdom directed at him must have sounded good to him. They knew exactly what they were doing. They made him believe that King Darius was worthy of worship. But in Daniel's eyes, this wasn't true. And this is where the problem came for Daniel. Because in his eyes, no one was worthy of worship except the living God. No idol or image or false god or man. David writes this in the book of 1 Chronicles. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Just like in the case of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, one of God's people was forced to choose between worship of the one true God and a false god. In the ancient eastern empires like Babylon and Persia, Polytheism was rife. The worship of multiple gods was acceptable, common, sometimes encouraged. The attitude was, feel free to have your own god, just add yours onto the list of ours. But our god, Daniel's god, is a jealous god, and he refuses to share a place in our lives with any other god or idol or man. In fact, Exodus 34:14 tells us, sorry, that's not, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So our God is not willing to share shelf time with false idols and false gods. He demands complete and utter dedication, because he and he alone is worthy of it. And so this is Daniel's downfall in our passage. He refused to add any other God or idol to his list. He refused to change the focus of his prayer and worship and adoration from the one true God to Darius. And I think it showed amazing character for Daniel to have the steadfast commitment to God that he had, especially in the face of the culture that he lived in, where it was acceptable to just add on another God to your list. It's easy to compromise on virtues and values when a casual attitude has become the norm. But Daniel had the character and the courage to be different. And I find that to be incredibly inspiring. 
And these men convinced the king to pass an order which stated anyone who prayed or gave worship to any god other than the king himself would face the punishment of the lion's den. And so they were sure that they'd finally found a way to bring Daniel down. Either he would refuse to submit to the king, therefore incurring his wrath and dying at the hands of the lions, or he would turn his back on God and worship the king. And just like it must have been for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the temptation to do just that would have been almost overwhelming for Daniel. Thoughts like, it's only 30 days, and who would know? But Daniel was unwavering in his commitment to God. He didn't decide to turn his back on God, the God who had been with him for the previous 60 years in Babylon. In fact, Daniel's response to Darius' decree was to do the very thing that he was instructed not to do. His response was to cry out to God in prayer. In the face of persecution, danger, and in fact death, Daniel turned to the God who he had dedicated his life to. He prayed that God would be with him just as he had been his entire life. The book of Deuteronomy talks of the way that God is with those who live for him. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. How good is the Lord that he cares for his people, that he cares for us, that he loves us despite our imperfections. And it blows my mind to think that the same God who created the heavens and the earth, who knows the number of stars in the sky and grains of sand on the beach, is faithful to and loves me, despite all of my flaws and imperfections. And Daniel knew God to be good, to be faithful, and that's why he refused to stop living for him. That's why even in the face of death, Daniel went to his room and prayed to God. This decree, rather than dissuading Daniel from praying to God, gave him even more reason to. And reading this story has caused me to question, consider my own prayer life. Do I turn to God when things get tough? When life starts to get too much? When all else seems lost? Is God the one I turn to? Too often, if I'm honest, the answer is no. And I think that I need to work hard at developing a pattern in my life where in all situations, my first port of call is turning to God in prayer, knowing that he loves me and that he hears me. Because prayer works, and God is at work, and he hears and answers our prayers. And as a church, we passionately believe that. We believe that God moves when his people pray to him. If there's something going on in your life where it seems like there's no answer, pray to God. And there's people that we know and love struggling with illness or problems. Lift them up to God in prayer. We're blessed to be able to come to our God in prayer and know that he hears us. The God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego is at work and is, and is as alive as he was for them. So it was that the satraps and the presidents came to find Daniel praying to God. No doubt with glee, 
they approached the king, reminded him of the order he had passed and the heavy punishment that accompanied for anyone who failed to obey. Verse 13 says this. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So they informed the king that there was one man in the kingdom who refused to obey this decree. And King Darius's reaction is in itself fascinating. His reaction to the news that one of his subjects refused to give him adoration. It might be expected that he would respond in anger. In the case of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, when King Nebuchadnezzar learned of their refusal to worship his image, in a fit of rage he demanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter. He was outraged at the thought of a subject refusing to obey. However, Darius's reaction is different. Rather than show fury, that subject had refused to obey his decree. Darius was distressed. So much so, he spent the day trying to figure out a way to get Daniel out of the mess he was in. And this says a lot about Daniel's character and the standing that he had managed to gain in his 60 years in Babylon, that the king would work on his behalf. Darius wanted to save Daniel, but he was bound by his own decree and by the traditions of the Medes and the Persians which stated that no decree passed could be revoked, even by the king himself. And so that night, as Daniel awaited his fate, King Darius worked tirelessly to find a way to release him. I'm not sure what he did. He might have got on the phone to lawyers for you, searching for a legal loophole. might have been trying to figure out some great plan with a cape to save Daniel. Imagine having the king of one of the most powerful empires in history working on your behalf, trying to figure a way to get you out of this situation, trying to save you from certain death. Surely, if there was anyone able to save Daniel, it would be this king. But we read that that's not the case. As it transpired, even this great king, King Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians, could not save Daniel. And so it was then that Daniel was brought before the lion's den, Verse 16, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and slept sleep fled from him. As Daniel was being lowered into the den, the lion's den, Darius said to him, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. There seems to be little doubt that Daniel was known to be faithful to God. 
It was known that he served God continually. And Darius was obviously aware that God had the power to save Daniel from the lions. Again, this is testament to Daniel's character that Darius knew that Daniel served God. And so that no outside help was able to be given to Daniel, a stone was placed over the mouth of the den, which was sealed with the signet rings of the king. And that night, Daniel spent in the lion's den, while Darius endured a fitful and sleepless night worrying about Daniel. Let's read verses 19 to 23. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And so, I'm sure it wasn't a spoiler to anyone to know that Daniel was saved from the the mouths of the lions. God sent an angel into the lion's den alongside Daniel to protect him. Their mouths were shut and they didn't attack him. And the Bible is wonderfully vague about that night that Daniel spent in the lion's den. He was there for hours. What was he doing? We don't know. Was he stroking them, giving them names? <laughs> Seemed like a good opportunity to play sleeping lions. Hopefully, hope he took it. We don't know. But what we do know is that Daniel's life was saved that night. And I think it's a fair bet that Daniel did the thing that he was so used to doing, turning to God in prayer this time to glorify him, to praise him for the work that he'd done. But Daniel's life was saved and it was nothing to do with the work that Darius had done, but because Daniel served one who was greater. The one who he refused to stop serving for Darius was greater. Although King Darius, try as he might, could not save Daniel, there was one who is powerful, one who is mighty to save. Mortal man could not deliver Daniel, Regardless of how powerful his empire was, Darius could not save. But the holy God, who is creator, was able to save. And Daniel explained to the king that God had sent an angel. This angel shut the mouth of the lion. The lion didn't harm him because he was found blameless before God. And the God of Daniel was faithful to him. He'd saved Daniel from the lions. Just as in the case of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. God had a rescue plan for his people. These aren't just stories that we read about in the Old Testament. God is still at work and God has a rescue plan for the world today. Although we might not be in immediate danger of facing a lion's den, the Bible teaches us that because of the sin that is in our lives, we face eternal separation from God. Humans were designed to be in a relationship with God, and sin has broken that relationship. Those out of this relationship with God, we read, will face an eternity in hell, separated from God forever. It's a fate that God doesn't want anyone to face. 
And that's why he has a rescue plan for us today in 2015. His son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And God's rescue plan for us was fulfilled with his son coming to earth and dying on a cross for the sins of the world. And it's amazing that anyone who chooses to believe and give their life to Christ has the chance to live forever in relationship with God again. Like Daniel discovered, God has a rescue plan for those who he loves. He sent his son into the world to save the world. And so our passage ends with Darius writing to all the peoples and languages under his command, proclaiming the wonder of the true and living God. Verse 25. Then then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Our passage ends learning that Darius is not afraid to tell the world about God. He proclaims the truth of who God is to the ends of the earth. It's a brave thing to do for someone to be in such a position of power and leadership to declare God to be good and true and alive and at work. And it made me wonder, do we have the guts to do the same thing that Darius has done? To tell the world about this God that we've been learning about. To tell the world about the God who sent his son into the world to save the world. Christ himself set us the task in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are called to live lives that cause people to see God, to let our lights shine. For 60 years, Daniel let his light shine in the kingdom of Babylon. Despite all the pressures, of the kingdom of Babylon that came with it, the cultural pressures, the casual attitude to faith. Daniel let his light shine faithfully before God for 60 years. For this reason, Darius knew that Daniel served God and God was glorified at the moment Daniel came out of the den. So let us strive to live like Daniel unwavering in our commitment to God, serving him at every opportunity, even in the face of trials and dangers, and let our lights, sh- let our lights shine so that others may glorify God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the stories that we've read over the last few weeks in Daniel. We just thank you for the accounts of 
uh, the people who have lived for you and served for you in the past, of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We just thank you for the lessons that we can learn about how they lived their life, glorifying you, living for you, letting their light shine in the kingdom of Babylon. Father, we just pray that you'll help us to do the same in 2015, that you'll give us strength to face all the trials and tribulations that come with being a Christian in our world, that you'll help us to have the strength to stand up before this world and declare you to be the living and active God and to tell the world about your rescue plan, Jesus Christ. Amen.